right, Bear Down Bears fans, it's time for another edition of Chicago Bears Podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and whew, I have had a few days to cool off after my last podcast, well, I guess two podcasts ago, because Jacob and I did uh, join you uh, briefly, a little, little prospect breakdown, but Previous to that, yeah, had had a little bit of an anger problem. Go go back and check it out. Uh, Ryan Poles blows the draft, I believe, is the title of that podcast, the Bears Banter Podcast. So if you want to hear an angry person, go ahead and check that one out. Not pleased with day two of the draft, and I still don't like what they did on day two of the draft. I'm not going to sit here and pretend one way or another. Kyler Gordon, look, I totally understand the situation with that selection. I would have preferred a trade back. You can get really good value, late second, high high third round picks when you trade back at that at that spot. And you know when I sit there and talk about trade back, you know, you know the the pessimist always going, well, you gotta have a trade partner. You gotta have a trade partner. There were trade partners to be had. The amount of trades in that second round was off the charts. There were trade partners to be had. Could have done that, and I get it. A lot of guys love Gordon. You know, I like what I've seen from Gordon. I do think Gordon's going to be a, a solid NFL player. So I'm not worried about the pick. I'm worried about the process and the process of, you know, things didn't work out for you in free agency with offense. You know, you know, we heard he checked in on Robert Woods. You know, we, we you know, obviously, you know, Buffalo matched. You know, there were all, all, all sorts of things that he tried to do didn't quite work out. But but in the end, just adding Patrick and Pringle and losing Allen Robinson and, and, and James Robinson. I mean, the offensive talent is worse in 2022 right now. And I understand he's got time. Maybe he's going to make a couple more moves. But that right now, the offensive roster is worse now than it was in 2021. And that's hard to do because the offensive roster in 2021 was doo-doo. And we're right back there and we've made it worse somehow with Ryan Poles. So I have, you know, look, and I get it. He went drafted a ton of offensive linemen on day three. I love to see it. I'm a former offensive lineman. Love it when you bring in the Wubbies. You can't win without Wubbies. I love that he did it. It's great to see. Hopefully one of these guys becomes a a several-year starter. Anyone who's coming in, sitting there and plugging all four of these guys in with with Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum, and there's your six future offensive linemen. That's not happening. the, The hit rate's too low at that point in the draft, but... The hit rate on day three in that sixth, seventh round area, the best position is always offensive line. That's the highest hit rate. I love that Ryan Poles did that. I hope Ryan Poles does that regularly. I hope he grabs a couple free offensive linemen in round six and seven, and that's where he focuses those draft picks. That's smart to me. That's what I want to see him keep doing. But I still don't like where this offense is. I don't like the strategy on day two. If you're like, all right, Bill, he had to take Kyler Gordon. There was, you know... You know, there's too many issues with Pickens. There wasn't a receiver there. Christian Watson was gone. There were no offensive linemen at 39. He had to take Gordon. Okay, fine. Take Gordon. But then take a Sky Moore or take an Alec Pierce at 48 or maybe even trade back at 48 and see what else you can, can pick up. You know, and the fact that at 71, now they had to go get a receiver because they had none, so they grabbed Jones. But at 71, I am a huge Bernard Raymond fan. Uh, Central Michigan, this is a guy who has only been playing football a few years, has picked up the sport, is is just on a rocket development, just just continues to get better. A, a little bit older of a prospect, but I love this guy. 
I love what this guy is going to be. And I, the Bears had opportunities to take him, and they didn't. You pair and look, you know, you, you if you if you're sitting there and you love Brisker and you love Jones and you're saying this was a great draft, fine. But I'm going to sit here and go. They could have had Alec Pierce or they could have had Sky Moore, George Pickens. I don't know what's going on with George Pickens, but they could have had you know one of those receivers. They were all sitting there at 48 and still gotten a guy like Raymond at, at, at 71. That, to me, is a draft, baby. That, to me, is a draft. I would have loved that draft. I would have been doing backflips. Even though I would have wanted all offense, I would have taken Gordon and those two guys. Absolutely. But going Brisker and then going Jones, who I don't love. And I'll tell you why I don't love Jones. I'm going to ask... E.J. Snyder about that. E.J. is going to be joining us here in just a few minutes. Windy City Grind, of course, the Bootleg Football Podcast with Brett Coleman, Bears Over Beers with Jeff Burks. E.J. going to be joining us because nobody's better at breaking down prospects than E.J. Snyder. I love listening to E.J. So we're going to get into everything. I'm going to get into this philosophy with E.J. too, see if he agrees or disagrees with me. I don't think he agrees with me because I know he loved that Kyler Gordon pick. But we'll, we'll get into it with E.J. But to me, Vellis Jones, at his age... And look, I get the, you know, with, with COVID and, and all this and, and extra years, I get all that. And, and there's the one thing I definitely don't like about older prospects is the fact that they're pushing 30 when that first contract ends, where you're already sitting there going, how much extra do I want to put into this guy? How much, what kind of contract do I want to so, so put all that aside. Jones did not do much. At, he, he, he just didn't put it together. He didn't become an impact player, comes to Tennessee, his final year, he really has some incredible plays. I know he's fast as can be, and, you know, flashes. But here's the thing. He is a man amongst boys. I mean, we're talking about the developmental age from 18 into your mid-20s, and how much the body can change, and how much when you, you know, you can start putting on more muscle mass and everything, you can't do that at 18. The fact that you can do it at 23, 24 years old, when you've got two, three, four, five years on guys at that age, you better be able to go out and kick some ass. So I I wonder how much of Jones's success was the fact that he was a physical specimen above a lot of other guys because of his age. But when he comes to an NFL level, he doesn't have that jump left in him because he took it in college. So that's why I'm not a big fan of this Jones pick. I know Justin Fields and and and, and the front office and everybody had conversations and watched tape, and then Fields goes, I can work with this guy. That's great, and I love that they're bringing Fields in with those kind of conversations. But I don't believe in the Jones pick. I don't like taking a safety at 48, especially with wide receiver and offensive line and the other things you could have done there. I don't like the approach on day two. I'm never going to like the approach on day two. And that's not, I don't think Brisker's going to be a bust. I mean, from everything, it looks like this guy gives me a solid, solid pro, a solid safety, probably going to be, be their main safety because they're going to have to extend Jalen. They're going to have some more money popping up, and they may not be able to keep Eddie Jackson around. So, you know, unless Eddie Jackson makes himself, you know, you know, really rebounds and, and makes himself indispensable in this defense, I don't know how much longer Eddie Jackson's going to be on this roster. So, you know, Brisker's there and, and can potentially, and replacement, they're different type of players, but you know what I mean. So I get the Brisker pick in terms of the talent, but a second round safety, 
you know, there's solid veteran safeties. This was a deep safety class. There were day three safeties to be had. I don't like the process there. I think the wheels fell off at 48, and I think Vellis Jones, and I get it that Fields liked him. I think that's a that's a uh, a reach at 71. So just don't like now. Day three goes crazy on the offensive line. I love day three running backs because you know I don't like spending first, second round picks on running backs unless they are special, special players. Love what Pauls did on day three. I'm not complaining about day three. That podcast I recorded where I blew out everyone's eardrums, that was after day two. And I'm still down on day two. I'm not going to sit here and yell and scream about it. But I'm still down on what he did. He has left Justin Fields alone. He does not have any support for Justin Fields. I believe at this moment, Justin Fields has the worst offense around him in the NFL. That is not what you should be doing for a, a day two, or I'm sorry, a year two QB that has a lot of question marks. Now, I love Fields, and I still think, I believe in him. I still think he's going to be a top 10, top 15 quarterback in this league. I don't know if he's going to be high-end Patrick Mahomes. You know, I don't know if he's got that in him. But I do think right now, look, the bottom line when you look at a quarterback, can you win a Super Bowl with Justin Fields? I believe that answer is yes. So that's great. But year two is a critical developmental year, and they have left Justin Fields naked behind center. And I am just not going to be okay with that at any point in this season. And I get the argument you can't fix everything at once but you fixed too much of the defense. You tried to get Joby, didn't work out. You went second round on defense twice with Brisker and Gordon. You've spent money on Morrow a little bit, not, not a ton, but I get that. You got to give Roquan Smith an extension. That's going to be coming, I would think, in, in August. Too much has to be invested in this defense right now, and there's just not enough on offense. So Ryan Poles, you got a month, you know, maybe some late picks and, you know, some within late in August. You need more on this offense. You cannot be done. We will see if he can, you know, not just a scrap heap guy that's going to compete for a position. You got to get something that can impact this offense a little bit and bring it up from, you know, one of the worst to, you know, just in the group of the worst, but just not not an eyesore. So we'll see what, what Poles does there. All right. Let's take a break, and when we get back, E.J. Snyder, Windy City Gridiron's draft guru, is coming at you next. Bears banter, Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back into the podcast, and it is a tradition around draft time every year that we get a chance. Now, you know, we've done it a little different a couple times. Sometimes he's been with Brett Coleman. Sometimes he's been with with uh, with J.B. is his Bears Over Beers podcast partner. But every year at the draft, E.J. Snyder comes on with us, either previews or reviews the draft. Windy City Gridiron, as I said, Bears Over Beers and the Bootleg Football Podcast. You can find it on YouTube with Brett Coleman. And he joins us now. EJ, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I am fantastic. And I, I like this tradition. I don't know about you, but kind of feels like uh, that nice glass of whiskey over the rocks when we're done with all this, because it's a long pull. And now we get to sort of relax and look back and see what happened. Yeah, I, I love the tradition. Too. This tradition, in fact, started well before I was even with Windy City Gridiron when I was doing this podcast independently. So EJ, EJ and I have been doing this a long time. So let's let's dive into here into what's happened over you know roughly the last week or so. So I will ask you, do you want to fight first or fight later? Because I have a feeling there may be a disagreement coming. I think we can kind of ease into our disagreement. Let's fight later. All right, let's we'll put that off. We're gonna you know I want to get into a lot of different things with EJ, but 
you know, there's there's no one better for it for for my money going through these prospects and, and understanding exactly what the Bears did. So putting any kind of draft philosophies aside, I just kind of want to dive into the, the, these prospects. And let's just start at, at the top with Kyler Gordon. You know, a lot of people had first round grade. A lot of people were pretty thrilled. He was sitting there at 39. What's your thoughts on the, on the cornerback? Uh, both first round grade and thrilled. He was sitting there at 39. Uh, Kyler Gordon was one of the guys in this process that uh, was a pair or a twin, if you want to say, like two guys from his team at the same position coming off. Uh, Trent McDuffie got a lot of buzz in the pre-draft process. Kyler was the quieter guy. Um, when I watched both of them, I actually liked Kyler better as the outside guy. Trent uh, ended up going to the Chiefs and has a more sort of hybrid role. He plays a little bit more slot. Kyler is a straight outside corner, and he's very, very good at what he does. I really appreciate his movement skills, his ability to drive on the ball, his quickness, uh, what we call click and close from being able to go to backpedal to, you know, really attack a receiver at, at the route top of the stem, get a PBU. I came out with basically the highest grade on anybody that wasn't in my top tier. He was right in the middle of tier two, right near the top. So when he was there at 39, I thought he had a chance to sneak into the end of the first round. I definitely didn't think it was a lock, but with the Bears need, it's a great fit system-wise. I actually didn't think they'd do it. I, I didn't think priority-wise, which we'll get into in a bit, that it was on their list. I'm happy that they did. He's a great player, and Bears fans are going to love him. I feel similarly about him as I did about Jalen Johnson, and you remember how I felt about Jalen Johnson. At yeah, Utah. we both love Jalen. We had a lot of talks before the draft, and that, that worked out well. And if we'd talked before the draft about Kyler, I would have said very similar things. In fact, I put out a tweet uh, probably, oh, three weeks before the draft, and normally I, you know me, I put some film up, and I say, I like this trade or that trade or this is good. I didn't. I said, I'm a simple man, Kyler Gordon, corner Washington, gimme and <laughs> well sometimes and, and you got <laughs> sometimes the universe listens but no i was very happy when he was there i was very happy when they drafted him we'll talk in a bit about you know why or where what the opportunity cost of that is all right so with gordon you said you you, you felt he was a pretty good good fit we know how important secondary is in, in, in a fluce defense you really you think him with Jalen, and, and obviously I know Brisker and Eddie Jackson, mm -hmm. I mean, you you really love, and we'll get into Brisker, but you really love what this secondary is now and how it how it's going to, you know, how the puzzle piece fits with the new defense. I love it a lot more <laughs> than I did four days ago, and that's the, <laughs> that's the thing, right, is, is we went into the draft, you had one corner and one safety, like in total, and – you know, maybe Thomas Graham. So maybe one and a half corners. You don't really know what you have with Graham. He looked pretty good at the end of last year. I think he can develop. And again, he's got experience at nickel or outside corner, but that's not a sure thing. It's kind of like, do you have two quarterbacks? Uh, you don't have any. You got a guy that can kind of play nickel, kind of play outside. What do you really have? You don't know. So you had Jalen Johnson and you had Eddie and that's it. That's all you had. So coming out of the draft with, Two, what I believe to be very outside corners, Jalen and Kyler, really probably lets Graham float inside if he wants to, and he doesn't even need to because, you know, Poles has brought in uh, Tavon Young, who I think can at least be competition for the nickel if he's healthy. I think he yeah, wins that healthy. job. Yep. And then you've got somebody in the slot that was just as open as right guard, right? The other safety slot, there literally was nobody on the roster. 
you know? So I feel a lot better that you've got four solid starters going around the back end of the secondary, as opposed to two before the draft started. All right. And while we're talking secondary, then easy transition, jump over to Brisker, Penn State safety. This is another pick you're a big fan of really sport about. Yeah, I like Brisker a lot. He was, uh, again, the top of my second tier of safeties. There was three guys in the top tier. They were all gone uh, by the time the Bears pick came around. And I called Jaquan Brisker pre-draft one of the most system agnostic safeties in this draft. It wasn't really, it didn't matter if he went to a single high system, a two high system, whether he's playing up high or down low, he's great around the line. He can play single coverage deep if he needs to extremely athletic, big hitter. It really, it didn't really matter where he went and he will fit very well in a flues defense where they like having two safeties that can do a similar range of things brisker can be that starting very very quickly all right twitter argument a lot has been box safety versus not a box safety are you brisker versatile enough to not put him in that box (laughs) i would not i would not put the box of box on brisker um not at all uh if you look at his snap counts and where he was aligned at penn state that's not how they used him at penn state uh he had a nearly equal alignment of deep nickel and box they actually separate those two um and so tons of experience at all three of those spots and not every safety slash corner in this draft had that um you know Jalen petrie who was a guy that uh, a lot of bears fans wanted out of baylor had something like 1100 slot coverage snaps and like 16 deep <laughs> <laughs> in his career so that guy is a really good slot defender uh he had some box snaps he's really great around the line he is not somebody you want typically in deep one-on-one coverage whereas brisker uh all three of those uh deployment measurements were there they weren't equal but they were fairly evenly distributed all right now this this is more of a theory of mine i have no analytical data or anything to back this up <laughs> And, and this comparison has the, the Penn State comparison is completely coincidental. But Eddie Jackson, who we know has not been the player that we want to see the last couple of years, part of me wonders if Adrian Amos, who I think was always overgraded by pro football focus, but, mm-hmm. but putting that aside, he always got a high grade because he was always in the right place. He was a sure tackler. He always did the right thing. He wasn't flashy. Wasn't going to make a lot of big turnovers, a lot of big, you know, you know, pin the, you know, change the momentum kind of the game plays, but he was consistent and he was, he did a lot of the things in the secondary that I don't think any Jackson likes to do. Do you think having someone paired with Jackson, like Brisker, may be able to open Eddie up into more of the role where he can be more of the ball Hawk that we, we loved in 2018. I think it does. And I think it gives the coaching staff real flexibility to try and find that role, right? Because the guy running Eddie Jackson for the last four or five years has been Sean Desai, right? First as a secondary coach and then eventually as the DC. And so Sean knows exactly what Eddie's good at. He wasn't always able to put him in that position. Some of that was personnel limitation. Some of it wasn't, but the new staff has got to figure out what do we want Eddie Jackson to do for us in the new scheme. Right. And I think having a guy like Brisker that is not limited by scheme alignment role 
gives them the flexibility to say, all right, we're going to try Eddie around the line. We're going to try Eddie in the flat. We're going to try Eddie covering a tight end. Well, we didn't like that. We're going we're gonna to play him deep against those faster players where you're going to, again, come forward and make plays on the ball, the, the Eddie Jackson that we all know and love. So having that safety net of a, of a player as talented as Brisker, which I don't think you were going to find in free agency, even with what's left, right? You were going to find more of that mm, solid role player, but wasn't really going to give you that flexibility outside the envelope to freelance with Eddie a little bit and say, what does he do really well in Flu's defense? Uh, with Brisker, I think they can be a lot more sure that he's going to cover more ground and make more plays than almost anybody else they were going to get. All right, let's switch over to round three then. Uh, obviously, very uh, glowing grades from, from EJ there on the, on the secondary and the two, two second round picks. Bellis Jones, maybe a reach. I know uh, Pulse, you know, has a lot of great ideas with what he wants to do with them. What did you think of the selection there? Uh, I thought it was at the right place. I don't think it was a reach in terms of what Velas Jones is worth. Now, if you want to argue that there are other receivers you liked better, sure, no problem. Uh, I think that's always going to be the way. What Velas Jones is, is a big guy that typically runs in the slot. And I said pre-draft reminds me a little bit of Brandon Ayuk because he is really athletic. He's got special teams value. And the thing that really reminds me of Ayuk is his ability to get yards after the catch and his desire to do so. Both of those guys fight for yak like their life depends on it. He is going to break tackles, spin, try and run you over. And he's got the ability to do it. He's 200 pounds. We're not talking about the typical slot receiver that's a little bit lighter than that and doesn't like contact. But his special teams experience and his size um, he can be a matchup problem for smaller corners. Now, in the downside, uh, people will say he never really had production. Need to look at the nuance there. It's absolutely true that uh, in terms of number of yards, if you are a stat scouter, you can look at him and say, well, look, he was at USC and he never did anything. And then he transfers uh, for his grad year to Tennessee and he still really didn't do a whole lot. He had some flashy plays. Well, at USC was behind two guys that are both in the pros. And the quarterback situation wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, but literally he was the number three receiver behind two other guys that are in the pros. When he gets to Tennessee, that's not the case. He's, uh, you can call him the lead receiver. He didn't play the, the X role, but the quarterbacking at Tennessee over the last year was not what we would call consistent. So you can say that he's got more potential than what he showed on the field in college and that he has the, again, potential is the word there, to be a better pro than a collegiate. All right. What about the, the route tree? Are you concerned about that at all? Um, I think I'm concerned about the route tree for almost every college receiver. So sure. Uh, did he run the full route tree? No. Uh, did almost any of the other college receivers that people <laughs> were frothing at the mouth for? No. Like if you look at Alec Pierce, he runs two and a half routes, right? Everybody in Chicago wanted Alec Pierce because he's a local kid and he, you know, he's a vertical outside threat. He had a lot of production. He's a great athlete at Cincinnati. If anybody tells you Alec Pierce runs the full route tree, they're kidding themselves. He runs at most three routes, really about two and a half for his big production routes. So you could say the same for Vellis that he runs two to three routes. Does he need to learn other routes? He does, but 
again, kind of like the coaching staff with, with Brisker, even with Eddie, like what's Vellis really good at? What position can we put him in to succeed? How do we get the ball in his hands so he can utilize the ability he has to get yak? We'll start there again. He's not going to be the starting outside receiver for the bears. It's not why they drafted him, right? He's going to be a three or a four. All right. Last one on Bellis Jones, the age. And this isn't just mm-hmm. about the fact that, you know, he's going to be near 30 when his rookie contract's up, when you need to worry about giving him a second contract. This is about a guy. And I understand you talked about depth chart issues, quarterback mm-hmm. issues. This is a guy who wasn't overly productive mm-hmm. as a breakout year when some will say this was a man playing against boys. I mean, he, this is a guy who's three, four years, sometimes five years older mm-hmm. than the players he's playing in this 19 to 24 range. That's a big difference in terms of development. Are you worried about that aspect of him being, you know, the man against boys, so to speak? And that's why he broke out. No, I I worry about age and specifically breakout age a whole lot less than I used to. Um, because receivers, when breakout age was all the rage, receivers took longer to develop, right? We saw very few rookie receivers break the thousand yard mark. Um, only the sort of most talented did. Now we still see the most talented do that, but they do it a whole lot more often and player movement as it is in the NFL, I get that people are worrying about where he's going to be in his second contract, where, how old he's going to be when he's looking at his third contract. If you get to a second or a third contract off a third round pick, you freaking nailed it. Like that's not an argument anymore. That's not a concern. Um, You know, that's, I guess I'll say that's the least of your concerns. Now, the being really physically developed and playing against guys that maybe were 18, 19 when he was, you know, 23, 24, for sure, it gives you an advantage. I'm going to look at how he moves. Um, And again, the players he was playing against are either the best or the second best in the nation. If you're looking at conference, he was not playing against scrubs. This is not, you know, he broke out against a bunch of tractor salesmen. Um, You know, all these guys have the potential to go pro and he looked pretty good doing it. So I'm not going to worry a ton about that. Is it a concern? Sure. But uh, the NFL being a meritocracy, we'll know soon enough. Right. We, we still got eight prospects to go through. So I'm, I'm not going to sit here line item by line item and go with, go through them all with you. But sure. I do want to ask you about Dominique Robinson. Cause when, when we get to day three picks, these are the, are the picks where I'm not following guys that, that closely. These are the guys that I kind of sit there and go, all right, well, let me, let me see what the experts say. So <laughs> let me go to the expert because everything on Twitter and everything I read on the internet after this pick is this is one of the steals of day three. Are you a Dominique Robinson fan? I am. He moves very well. This is the edge from Miami of Ohio. Uh, had a great senior bowl, but what you see on tape is a guy that can bend the edge. He's got a good frame. He's not uh, short in any of the physical measurables. Uh, very fluid on the field, can rush with power as well. And people would say, well, great. Why is he in round five then? And part of it is because this is the largest draft class in a very long time because of the COVID bump. There were more guys in this draft class, period than there have been in a really long time. There's almost three times as many as there were last year. 
uh, which was one of the smallest in history. So you're getting down into the 15th, maybe the 18th edge available in the fifth round, and there's still guys that can play. Seattle got one as well, Tyreek Smith out of Ohio State, and people say the same thing, like a guy from Ohio State that can rush off the edge, like isn't that a great school for edge rushers? It is. Why is he available in the fifth? Because there were 12, 13, 14, 15 guys above him. So I was thrilled the Bears were able to reach down and, and grab Dominique Robinson. How about Treston Ebner? Now, I mean, we'll get to the offense here in a second, but this certainly, and, and we know where Getsy's philosophies come from, mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan, Gary Kubiak. So yep. with, with, with that in mind, you know, Ebner, you're looking at potentially four running backs on the roster this year if they, uh, if they keep everyone on the roster, which I would expect them to do so. Do you think Ebner can make the 53? And what kind of element does he add as, as a type of player he is? Yeah, he might. He adds speed. Um, Baylor is famous for grabbing fast running backs. And Ebner was part of a three-headed attack at Baylor last year. Uh, One of his running mates was drafted by San Francisco. And then his other uh, running mate this year was picked up as a UDFA, Abram Smith. All three of them were real fast. Ebner's no exception. Uh, Can catch. uh, Started as a wide receiver, moved to running back. So he's got good hands, um, not super fluid uh, in terms of his ability to turn. So he's not really jukey, uh, but he can make one good move, plant and go, uh, which again, sounds like a Shanahan running back, right? <laughs> one cut and drive. But if you're not in front of him, when he takes off, you're going to have trouble catching him again. Baylor, they play plenty of schools with lots of athletes, Arkansas, Texas, Um, and he ran away from almost all of them. So if you get him out on, I mean, my, I was saying to somebody this weekend, what I'm going to do with, with Ebner is I'm going to run probably three or four angle routes to him a game out of the backfield because one's going to break. You're going to catch a linebacker. That's not as fast as him. He's going to have a step when he catches it and, and look out because he is not small. Uh, runs a little bit upright, but he is real fast. All right, now let, let's jump over to the offensive line because I saved this kind of for for last year with the with the draft draft picks because it kind of also will lead into philosophy. And first of all, let me say that the philosophy of what polls did. I know a lot of us have been screaming for years under the Ryan Pace regime. Please trade back. Please trade back. Stop trading up. Stop trading up. Well, Ryan Poles is a trade back guy. Um, you know, went back multiple times, collected a lot of picks. Not only did he collect a lot of picks, but one thing I loved about these picks is, I mean, if you look at data of, you know, six, seventh round picks, those late picks, the position that hits the most is offensive line. So what did Bowles do? He traded back a bunch of times, grabs four offensive linemen. What, again, did you think of, I assume you loved that he did this. And two, what'd you think of the players he picked up? Anyone, you know, one or two guys that jump off where you sit there and go, this guy may be starting on in 2023, or this guy could be even maybe contributing this year. Yeah. So like you and many other Bears fans, I've been chanting trade back for about two months. So I was very happy to see him do it. But before day three of our live stream kicked off on bootleg, I said, my pet theory is, that polls is going to trade back because he needs to, he's got too many holes not to. And what he's going to do with all those picks is offensive line. And everybody went, Oh, what about wide receiver? I said, no, he's not going to go wide receiver. I think a former offensive lineman 
from Kansas City last year that took the shotgun approach and collected a whole bunch of offensive linemen. So they never had to say again, we don't have enough and Patrick Mahomes is going to get killed. I said, I don't think he's coming out of the draft without a handful of offensive linemen. This is how he's going to do it. He's going to grab picks. He's going to pick OL. And then he's going to get all his wide receivers and his targets in UDFA and whatever's left in free agency and cuts. And sure enough, as day three rolls on, he trades back. He picks up four offensive linemen. Uh, and then within the first probably five hours, he signed uh, five wide receivers and a, and a pass catching tight end in UDFA. So, and, and if you notice, he basically ignored offensive line in UDFA. I mean, one yeah, of he's got, guys he's he got like, up. he's got like three tackles who yeah. are, yeah, nobody. So it was, uh, we'll talk a little bit about what he did in UDFA because it's really interesting, but in terms of the offensive lineman, uh, the highest drafted one, Braxton Jones from Southern Utah State, really good athlete with a huge frame. I think he try him at tackle. He can be a guard if you don't if that doesn't work out. But he is big enough and has all the measurables and the movement skills, I think, to really try at tackle. So he's probably in that mix. Uh, my guess is as a swing tackle as a rookie, I don't see him breaking out and starting at left. Um, Doug Kramer, the local safety from Illinois, didn't really stand out to me. I watched the tackle, Verdarian Lowe, who was at Illinois. Saw a bunch of Doug Kramer, didn't see anything terrible, didn't see anything great, but sometimes that's awesome with centers, right? If they don't catch your attention, they, <laughs> they might be doing all right. Uh, and then Jatiree Carter from Southern was a guy that had, I think, more buzz early in the process, um, faltered a little bit at Senior Bowl, not a, not a ton of people, I think, expected him to, to kill there, but the physical town is there, and as a, as a pounding guard, if they want to run the ball, uh, and run outside zone. I could see Jatiree Carter contributing quickly at the right guard spot. He's going to have to win it. Um, he does have some things to clean up, so I'm not saying that's a certainty. But if you're asking me, you know, where the most plug and play guy might be, that would be my guess. What about long term with these four guys? Who's the guy that you look at this? I mean, maybe it's just Braxton Jones. But, but who is the guy you look at that has the best chance to be a five, six, seven-year starter on this Bears offensive line? I actually think it's the one I didn't mention, Zach Thomas, the guy that was a tackle at San Diego State. Um, he's definitely a guard in the pros. Uh, his tape at San Diego State uh, is one I got to later in the process. Uh, my buddy Brandon Thorne, who knows way more about offensive line than I do, uh, was in kind of his third wave of watching and got to Zach Thomas's tape and, and put out a note that said, I don't know. I kind of like this guy. Like I'm, I'm down to my third wave and I'm looking for traits and this guy's got traits. Uh, it's going to take a little bit to see if he can make that guard transition, but he strikes me as that solid, just like you said, five, six year plug and play. People are going to look back when he comes up for a second contract and go, where, where'd Zach Thomas play? Um, so I think he could, he could slot into being a long-term right guard, especially between two players that were better than him. All right, so so before we get into philosophy, let's jump over to UDFA. You mentioned it. You want to get into it a little bit. Like you said, I mean, collected every wide receiver he could. Uh, clearly, there's there, there, there's an idea and a, and a plan there with, with, with the UDFAs. Didn't focus much on offensive line because he grabbed them all at the fifth, sixth, and seventh round. I think the Bears have, you know, 16, you know, 15, 16 offensive linemen right now yeah. on, on, the, uh, on the unit. So didn't need to focus there. But UDFA strategy, maybe a couple of names that pop off the page for you. What'd you think of, uh, of what the, the bears did there when the, the Mr. Irrelevant was selected? 
Yeah, when I started looking into it, there were certainly some other names, bigger names at wide receiver in the UDFA ranks I was hoping they would get. Uh, that didn't really happen. And as I went back and started watching these guys, it became pretty apparent to me that what Ryan Poles and the scouting staff did, or, or it was probably Ryan Poles to the scouting staff, he went and said, okay, cool. You want Alec Pierce? Give me Alec Pierce, but I don't want to spend a pick for it. Right. And everybody went, uh, okay. He's like, find me that guy, right? Your scouts go digging. And same thing. Oh, you want, you want Calvin Austin from Memphis? You want a fast guy out of the slot that's got returnability? Go find me Calvin Austin clones that I don't have to pay for with draft picks. And then they said, all right, we want one, basically Byron Pringle. <laughs> we want one guy that's kind of in the middle. Like he's six foot. He can go out and catch. You can play him in the slot. He can be possession. He can play X. Find me one of those too. And so those are the three types they went after. And the guy that most resembles Alec Pierce is Cyrus Holder from Duquesne. He's 6'2", he's over just about 200 pounds, and he's basically about 85 to 87% of Alec Pierce. Like his measurables are not far off, but he played at Duquesne. So he's a big, tall, fast guy that plays outside, can jump and get the ball, um, be that boundary receiver. That's, that's that type. The little fast returner guys, he basically got three of them. Uh, he got Kevin Shaw from Liberty, who was one of Malik's receivers. Uh, he got Savon Scarver uh, from Utah State, who ran a 222-1. Like, this guy is blazing fast and not big. Uh, and then the other one he grabbed that was really fast... Uh, oh, sorry. The possession guy that's more like uh, Brandon Pringle or uh, Byron Pringle is Landon Lenar from Southern Illinois. Um, just about 600, just, just over 200 or sorry, just about six foot, just over 200 pounds, really strong hands, good across the middle. So I could see all those guys contributing and then went out and got Jake Tongas, who's a converted wide receiver plays tight end. He's really that down the seam sort of tight end from Cal. So I think he went out and basically said, yeah, great. You want to spend draft picks on those guys? Find me those guys without draft picks. I realize they're not going to be exactly the same. I wanted to be close and I want to have a bunch of them so I can pick one. Well, you, you brought up quarterbacks. This isn't Bears related, but you know, since you brought up quarterbacks, I want to ask you about this because I mean, there was obviously a lot of conversation about all these quarterbacks tumbling down in the draft this year. And I mean, we know it wasn't a great quarterback class. I'm not going to, you know, no one's going to sit there and pretend it was a good quarterback class, but what, you know, maybe this is just, you know, you think this is incorrect, you tell me, but with the idea in the current NFL that you really need a top 10, at worst, a top 15 quarterback, if you're going to actually compete. And the idea that if you don't have high first round grades on these quarterbacks, the hit rate is going to drop significantly. And do you want to spend time on a, you know, potentially a, you know, a Kellen Mond, you know, mm -hmm. and keeping him around for a few years to see if maybe you're going to get something out of him and you're going to use a second, third round pick for these guys where you can get solid contributors at a lot of different positions. Do you think maybe this year is the NFL kind of realizing that if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything and spending second, third, fourth round picks on QBs a lot of times it's maybe not the best strategy to take. Yeah, it the hit rate's really low. You mentioned hit rate for offensive linemen later in the draft, and it, it holds true earlier in the draft as well. The highest failure rate in the first round is wide receiver. And the lowest failure rate in the first round is interior offensive linemen. So 
it this is something that holds true throughout the draft but yeah as soon as you drop out of the top 10 picks of the second round your hit rate on a quarterback is really really low it does have on one hand <laughs> yep uh if you're talking about a starting quarterback it's extremely low that's what i know, mean i mean yeah I, i'm not talking about using a third round pick to develop a backup i'm saying yep. using a third round pick to find russell wilson using a fourth round pick to find dak a sixth round pick to find brady like that is and that's the, it yeah <laughs> and that's, that's the list the, and that's the lists out of the last like almost 15 and a half years that's the list so there are some other guys that have had some limited success, but nobody that's had, you know, that level of success out of those rounds. And those are the guys that always get brought up. But what doesn't get brought up is the tens and tens and tens of other quarterbacks who have been picked in the third, the fourth, the fifth, that aren't going to be that guy. Um, there are backups to be had. There are developmental guys to be had. And occasionally, sure, you can take a shot. And there was actually a guy Pittsburgh took that I really, really wanted the Bears to take. They'd met with him twice. Um, South Dakota State, Chris Oladokun, who I thought could be a nice backup. Again, perfect. You're not he's he's not coming in and competing for playing time with Justin, but man, he's going to be a lot better than what they have on the roster in terms of backup. So I was kind of bummed. He didn't go off until round seven, pick twenty. So I was kind of hoping one of those late picks might be him. But uh, again, that's a pretty small quibble. All right, so let's jump over to philosophy. Um, this is something. So we get to fight now. Yeah, I think we might fight. So let's, okay, let's see cool. what happens. Let's see what happens. Let, let's jump into philosophy because I think, you know, there's obviously everyone understands if you're the most casual of Bears fans, I think you looked at that roster and kind of cringe uh, with the amount of holes and the amount of issues that they had. So let's just start really broad general with you. The entire offseason. Now, I understand Poles is going to probably add a guard. He might maybe add a receiver. Let's see what he does here the next couple of weeks. But as of right now, from you know the you know basically May first when the when the draft ended and all the way through free agency, how do you you know what do you think of Ryan Poles? And I understand limitations with money, I, mm-hmm. lack of picks. I, I get all that. But what did you think about Poles' approach to the first offseason? I think it's good. And why I think it's good is not because uh, the roster is in a place where anybody wants it to be. Um, So number of days between Ryan Pace leaving the bears and the draft, how many? Uh, What about 90? 108. All right. Number of days between polls being hired in the draft. That's probably closer to 90. Yeah. 93. You nailed it. So in 93 days, what's he done, right? Because, we're, you know, even, even presidents, right? First 100 days. Yeah, right? the first 100, right. First 100 days. Okay, so what's he done uh, in the first 100 days? And what did he inherit? Let's start there. So if I asked you, uh, quick assessment, how many position groups on the Bears were in good? Not great, because I don't think any of them were in great shape. Just good. How many position groups did, did Ryan Pace leave in good shape? we're gonna put, put quarterback aside because we don't know justin fields well, i'm gonna put quarterback in the good actually because okay. a right. lot a lot of teams would love to have a good okay. young developmental starter that All they right. can at least find out about quarterback yep i'm not complaining about running back yep uh based on the idea that khalil mack was left to this mm-hmm. team 
Yep. Uh, you know, the pass rush, I don't know how, exactly how you want to word it, but uh, we'll call but it edge. Front, edge. We'll call it edge. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going linebacker, even with nope. Roquan Smith there, and I'm not going nope. corner, obviously. That's probably it. Yep. Three. That's what the same three I came up with. Quarterback, because you've got something to work on that, again, is an asset that's very hard to get. Running back, you got, you know, Monty and, and Khalil, like that's a, that's definitely an NFL starting running back room and edge. You had Mac Quinn and Travis Gibson. Like that's an NFL starting edge unit offensive line. Hell no defensive line. Hell no receiver. No, you had one left period one. (laughs) Like that's, that's not okay. Tight end. You have one of what you need in two. Like, I think Cole Komet's fine, but that's not a tight end room, right? And you can say whatever you want about Jesper Horstead. I like him probably better than anybody, but that doesn't make an NFL tight end room. Defensive line, mm-mm, nope. Linebacker, nope. You had Roquan. That was awesome. That's it. Same thing. Safety, you had Eddie. Literally, that's it. No other <laughs> safeties. And corner, you got Jalen. You need four to five corners. You had Jalen and maybe, again, half of Graham. No Kindle Wilder for me, thanks. No Shelly. Nope. So here's a guy that gutted the franchise, right? And he left a litany of shit contracts and no money, no draft picks, really no hope. So he gives you, you know, this is like your house burning down and three rooms being like, okay, and habitable and everything else needing to be like torn down to studs. So that was a hundred days ago, your house burned. Right. And then you got the insurance money and you got your first little rebuild going and you're a hundred days later and everybody comes in and they go, you're not ready for a party. What the hell, man. And you're like, literally the house burned a hundred days ago and I've stabilized. We can live here. Right. <laughs> I've fixed a couple of rooms, like the kitchen works. Like I, I got a decent secondary. Now I have 18, as you mentioned, offensive linemen on the roster. We should be able to find a starting five and some backups out of there. Like I've stabilized that, uh, you know, I brought in some defensive linemen to fill holes. Are they great? No, but are they NFL players? Yes, they are. Uh, I got another linebacker from the Raiders. Uh, I got this nickel off the free agent market. That's better than anything we have. If he's healthy. Yes. I realize it's a, it's a risk. That's a big if, right? Yeah. But like, that's what you got to do when you're in a position where your house just burned down. So in, in 90 days and he scraped every single piece of crap off the bottom of the bear's shoe that Ryan Pace put there uh, in terms of contract wise, like everything, including Nick Foles, he has lumped it all into next year, all the dead money. And everybody says, they're going to lead the league in dead money. That's not Ryan Poles' fault. No. Right? That's Ryan Pace's fault. So he has cleaned up Ryan Pace's mess. He has rebuilt what he can with the the limited availability he has. And can he do more? Yeah, he can and he needs to. And I think he will – I think there's some ways we can talk about that. But just right up to now after the draft, like that's what he inherited – that's how long he's had the reins and that's what he's fixed or at least brought up to a standard where you can live in it. Um, is it perfect? Hell no. And I, I saw somebody on Twitter said, well, are the bears or the lions better off for next season? I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. The lions had their fire two years ago and they've been building well for 2 years they've had two good solid drafts right they've had two good free agency periods 
they know what they're doing They're Yeah. They're close. Like they better be better. Poles has had 93 days and he's not done tearing out the rot. All right. So, and I agree with everything you said. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like Brad Spielberger from pro football focus for years, not, you know, a Johnny come lately years has been mm-hmm. screaming that Ryan pace is steadily effing up this entire roster because of what he's doing with contracts. And when the bears bears fans are riding high with the, you know, Oh, we'll get back to 2018. We'll get back to 2018. And they're all telling him he's wrong. And, and sure enough, I mean, we saw it's exact. I mean, the, 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 the shambles he left it in is pretty close to what he inherited. And it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty full circle there. So I agree with, with all of that, but here's where I have major issues with how he approached fixing the house on fire. He put the fire out, get all the dead money. And what look, the bears are going to be bad this year. I don't think anyone thinks the bears are going 10 and seven. This is going to be a bad team. They may have a top five pick kind of bad football team. That's the way I'm looking at this team right now. Can't fix everything at once, but you're going to come in the next year with gobs of cap space and a top 10, maybe top five pick. Great. That, and that's where Ryan Poles is going to kind of position his, his car in, in, in the race and get ready to take off at that point. But coming into this year, Justin Fields, and as you said, good position because teams would love to have a young quarterback like this that could potentially develop. Would you agree that the second year in the development of a quarterback, especially what we've seen the last, you know, 10 years, let's say with the current NFL is a critical year. It's very important because, okay. Because for, for the most part in the last 20 years, the only guy that I know of that didn't blossom until year three, you didn't see much until year three is Josh Allen. That's, that's, that's the path that to me, it appears the bears are hoping to take here with, with, with Justin Fields with year two being so critical and you don't want to bury this guy. I don't think you're going to shatter his confidence, but you really need to bring him along and develop him with an offensive line. And I understand you know, right now it's, it's quantity over quality and hopes you'll squeeze the quality out of the quantity. I get that. And, and a lot, a lack of options. I mean, the bears last year, nobody was open. They, they had no separation. Any of the st- statistics you looked at, none of these receivers were getting separation with all that in mind to me, you want to talk about what they, you know, what Ryan Poles did to fix the house. To me, he fixed the entryway, the foyer. So when you walk in, you kind of look around and go, okay, that's, that's not bad. And maybe he fixed a couple guest rooms, but the, the key rooms, the master bedroom and, and the kitchen and the bathroom, he hasn't fixed those yet. So the house is unlivable. To me, the focus needed to be on offense at some point, whether that was in free agency, which that wasn't the focus because Ogan Joby was the, was the first attempt, didn't work, but obviously they were going sure. for a three tech. And then back-to-back picks in the second round. Now, I understand he might add a couple pieces here to try and make the offense a little bit better here at some point in the month of May. But that, to me, is gross negligence to your quarterback. And that's where I had a major problem with Ryan Poles' offseason approach. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that the Bears' offense is good because it's not. I, I think Justin Fields may have the worst supporting cast. And I, I think there's a strong argument for that case, right? And, again, I everybody wants to throw that at Ryan Poles' feet. 
And I understand that. Um, <laughs> the answer is, what would you have liked him to do about that? Right. And everybody's like, well, sign a top receiver. And I'm like, well, there's a problem with that. Right. Jacksonville broke the market. Right. And that's why we see all the major wide receivers moving. Right. They're all getting 25 million a year. Right. And they're basically protesting and leaving their teams if they're not. So would you like him to throw 25 million or 22 million or 20 million a year at a wide receiver? And the answer is he doesn't have it. Right. That would be it. He would have a really nice mailbox to throw to and there wouldn't be a house. Right. And so the idea that it all needed to be on offense. I understand that that's where folks want the focus. And I think we'll continue to see pieces get added on offense. Will that add up to it being more than a bottom five in terms of on paper offense? Probably not. Right. But last year you didn't have an offensive line. Like you literally were pulling guys off the street to try and get guys in front of fields. And if you, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, Daniels was maybe their best uh, lineman, but Jason Peters might've been. Jason Peters was arguably their best lineman. They called him out of the river to stop fishing, right? That's not a plan. And that's what Ryan Poles inherited. So people like offense. And typically I think what most people, I'm not saying you, but what most people mean is God damn it. I want a really big wide receiver. Right. And that's great. If there's no offensive line, Justin Fields is going to look a lot like his first two starts. He's going to run for his life and he's going to get killed, right? His, his ribs are going to get broken and whatever. So instead, Ryan Pohl said, look, I'm going to collect offensive linemen. We're going to get somebody in front of this kid. And I'll try and get some targets along the way. Now, I understand that Byron Pringle is not everybody's favorite, and nor should he be. He is average. And in my estimation, he is a number three or number four behind Mooney, right? Because Mooney has some special traits. He's not the lead receiver, but he's he's good. And is it Byron Pringle's fault that he's not an ultimate X receiver? No, it also means he doesn't get $25 million a year. So the bears can afford him. I understand that. Like, do you want him to go out and throw money, you know, 10, 12, $14 million a year at the top pass catching tight end? Well, not really, because you're not going to use that guy that much. Right. So typically when they say they didn't get him any help on offense, they mean he didn't get a big, fast wide receiver that can dominate. And I believe you need that to play well in the NFL, but it doesn't do you any good if you're not standing up. So we're in phases. He had limited resources. He's not done cleaning. And that's the sort of one hand is cleaning and the other hand's building phase where you're not going to have everything you want. And if you want the big flashy wide receiver, that's going to eat up everything you've got left in terms of funds. And you're not going to have any offensive linemen and he's going to get crushed and everybody's going to say, well, he's crappy anyways. The other piece of this is you said second year, the bears have a habit of doing this. They burn the first year of their quarterback. You talked about Josh Allen. Josh Allen had the same support structure year one, year two, year three, and he needed it. Right. I think Justin needs it a little bit less, but the bears do this with the first year of the quarterback. They did it with Trubisky. They sure. Fox, did, Fox didn't want Trubisky. So he basically put handcuffs on him and said, don't screw it up kid. And then everybody said, now he's got to develop. It's year two. Let's go. We got a new coach and we all know about new coaches and system transitions. So, you know, is year two going to be what everybody wants it to be for Justin Fields? Probably not. Is that Ryan Poles's fault? Eh, maybe a little, but not in the majority. He just got here. And, and look, 
I would 100% support a measured approach. The last thing I wanted Ryan Poles to come in and do is, you know, sign two or three big offensive guys and go punt money into next year. Because he goes, oh, look, we got tons of cap space next year. We'll just punt it in the next year and we'll still have cap space left. It's the last thing I wanted that is not what I wanted. I'm all for a measured approach. And a couple of the things he tried to do didn't work out. And I get that. Mm-hmm. I, I still would have liked him to, and maybe he still will, you know, potentially with a trade. I don't know if he's going to give up future assets, but, you know, potentially with a trade. We know there's a couple huge receivers out there still. Maybe, you know, one of these veteran guys try and squeeze lightning out of a bottle with some, you know, the, the Julio Joneses of the world. I, I don't know what he's going to try and do. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the one thing I will say is when you get to the draft, and I would have loved this to go all offense on day two. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. When you get to the draft, I mean, when I look at this, okay, let's put Kyler Gordon aside. I understand, a, you know, first round grade, and, and I get that with what was of it. Certainly no offensive linemen were available at 39. Trade back was certainly something he could have done, but he really wanted Gordon. He jumps at Gordon. I have an issue with 48, and I know a lot of people like Brisker. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of solid safeties year after year that are available. You know, investing two secondary picks, and you've already got Jalen and Eddie Jackson, to me, opens up the door to a lot of things. I mean, I look at this and go, for, forget forget Thornton, but the Patriots, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's that was a unique pick <laughs> for, yes. for Bill. Um, Pickens, <laughs> Pierce, Moore are all sitting there at 48. And the one guy I was hoping that was sitting there at 71 and he was, was Bernard Raymond from central Michigan. Mm -hmm. I would have been 10 times happier with a pick, pick your receiver out of that group, Mm -hmm. out of those uh, trio with Raymond. I would have been significantly happier with what he did to try and approach the offense and he still gets a, a secondary piece for his coach. Would have been much happier with that approach than the approach he took of going defense, defense. And to me, I'm not a big supporter of the Bellis Jones pick. I mean, I would have liked to have seen a trade back. I still think you probably could have gotten him. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think you probably could have gotten him 15, 20 picks later and picked up a fourth round pick along the way. I would have much rather have seen that approach. Yeah, the trade back thing's really interesting. Um, and one of the other things that we get to just factor in uh, with Valus Jones is Valus Jones is Justin Fields approved, <laughs> right? So yeah, I, sat, I heard all that. Absolutely. Yeah, Eberflus sat with his quarterback and said, "Hey, here's a bunch of guys. Which of these guys do you like?" So for all the people around the NFL howling, "Oh, they they didn't listen to Russ. They didn't. They're doing it the right way." They sat with their quarterback and said, "Do you like this guy? We might be able to get him." And he said, I like this guy, this guy, and this guy. We don't know what that full list is, and we never will. But this is a guy that Justin Fields looked at specifically and said, yeah, I I could work with that if you gave me that. With 48, I get it. Like, I would have taken Ryman at 48. Like, I believe in his ability to be a future left tackle. And I think that's something that you go for just like somebody that slipped out of the first round that maybe is a first-round corner, right? Ryman was there, and I was – kind of hoping for Ryman at that spot. So the fact that he was available at 71 is a whole different thing. The other receivers, mm, Pierce, maybe. 
right? I would have loved to see a trade back at 48. We never know what they could have or couldn't have got. Would I have just jumped at a safety? No, I believe like you that there uh, are and were safeties available that you could grab to be the second safety. Are they going to be brisker? No. Are they going to be serviceable? Yeah, they probably are. So I can see the emphasis earlier either on Ryman as a potential bookend with Tevin. That would be worth it to me or one of those other receivers. Um, but those other receivers, Pickens, there's definitely something up. Definitely there. red flags. I do get that. I'm no, not, there's I'm something up with Pickens because he should have gone earlier than even he did. Um, something we don't know about there. Just like Bo Melton. Like Bo Melton was there on day two long after he should have been based on his tape and his, his all-star performances. There's something up with Bo Melton. We don't know what it is. Could be medical, could be off the field. We don't get to see that, but there's no way he's a seventh-round wide receiver. Um, so Sky Moore, interesting, but does he give you something you don't really have? He's not an X. Like they played him at X at Western Michigan, but that's not like you're not going to run Sky Moore out there and be like, this is the guy that we're going to go to all the time on third and seven as a rookie, and he's going to win. So what does he really give you? He gives you about what Velas Jones is going to give you. I like him a little bit better, but the separation there isn't necessarily the difference between 48 and 71. Trade back, yeah, it takes a partner. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I understand folks that say safety is not what I would have done with a limited number of picks up high. And I'm not going to argue that point at all. Brisker's a good player. Was he my choice there? Mm, no. Was he my choice even necessarily side of the ball? No. Is he a good player that's probably going to last a long time for the Bears? Yeah, he is. Um and there weren't any receivers that I was like, oh, man, you got to have that guy, right? If, you know, who knows, Jameson Williams was still sliding or something, I would have been like, what are you doing? But Skymore, Pierce, and Pickens, now again, I love George Pickens, but there's something going on with George Pickens. I don't know what. We'll find out. But he he went later, so I don't, I don't sort of – I'm not going to blame them for laying off because everybody else laid off to a bunch later too. If so, Christian Watson that was is available at 39, question. if he was available at 39, if that trade doesn't right. happen and he slides, yeah, would you still be okay with the Gordon pick? I would take Gordon over Watson because I'm okay. more sure that Gordon's working out than Watson is. I love Christian Watson, but if you don't like risk and you look at failure rates, Christian Watson has more potential to drop into the failure rate bucket than many of the other receivers in this draft. He might yeah, also I, I, be awesome, but <laughs> I remember we had a conversation. I think, I don't know, six, maybe it was a couple months ago. I think you may have done a, a simulator and gotten Christian Watson in like the fourth round. I said, well, how is that happening? He's like, hey, he's there. I'm taking him. <laughs> yeah. If he's there, I'll take him. But that's just game through. We both knew that he wouldn't be because somebody's going to gamble height, weight, speed. And I love Christian Watson. He's great. But the other thing that's really playing into the first round pick, well, sorry, the second round pick, which is, Poles first pick ever as a GM, which carries different weight than any other pick because it will stick with you forever. And if it wins, that's great. And if your first pick ever is Kevin white, you regardless of the fact that Kevin white was rock solid, healthy in college, if he comes out, breaks his knee and never amounts to anything. Everybody's like, yeah, first ever pick was Kevin white, huh? Like, Ryan Poles knows this, which is why I thought, and I'm glad he didn't, I thought he might go offensive line again because it is the lowest failure rate. And I thought he might take like a guard at 39. And I was really, really, really hoping he wouldn't. 
but I think Kyler Gordon's a nice middle ground of a player. I have every confidence will succeed. Does that mean he will? No. One out of three is a great hit rate in the draft, but all the arrows are there to say Kyler Gordon can be a good football player for a long time uh, and hopefully make it. So Ryan pulls his first draft pick ever is remembered fondly. See, so we we can have a conversation. We can disagree about certain elements and we can have a, a calm conversation. I don't have to berate people like I, I may have done on my, my previous podcast, but <laughs> sometimes I just do it for JB because he just loves it so damn much. Uh, he does. He does. <laughs> he forgets that I was born and raised on the East coast though. So I'm like, <laughs> what I said in the chat, I'm like, Oh, you want to bring a fastball? Bring that shit. I'll hit it. Go ahead. So no, we can have a good time. And, and honestly, I mean, the bears are on the right path. We're a hunt. We're not even a hundred days into this thing with Ryan Poles and he might have a couple of magic tricks left in the hat. Right. So two things to keep in mind for bears fans that could add a little bit of hope here. Right. One guys are going to get cut. Absolutely, guys are going to get cut. With the size of this class, there were 450-plus UDFAs, and there were 550 camp invites. That's a 1,000 guys in camp. (laughs) a 1,000 guys that were not drafted in camp. Think about that. The league's only, what, 1,600 players? Like, some of those guys, not many, but some of those guys are going to take people's jobs, right? They're going to show out, and the brain trust is going to go, we can't. We can't let this guy go. Like he's amazing. And their aged veteran wide receiver or their guy that's been a problem in the locker room or whatever is going to be on the block. And there there's going to be a handful of those guys. And some of them, I know people don't think so, but some of them will be wide receivers. Right. And he will have a shot because he's got some money. He doesn't have a ton, but he's got some money this year. It's not all next year. And he'll be able to bring somebody on. And the other thing is, even with folks that were drafted, there's a few wide receiver rooms around the league right now that are too crowded. Cleveland, New York Giants, like there's a couple of rooms right now where everybody in the room that's in there right now is not going to fit. And they're all under contract, like they all got signed. So somebody's coming out, right? Somebody's going to have to hit the open market. And the way we've seen it go down is, uh, so we might like a pick for this person. Well, if you say that, you're done. Everybody's going to wait you out and wait till you cut him. He might get somebody, quote unquote, for free on yeah. Stoney. Uh, maybe I, I honestly, after I don't know if you saw what Joe Shane did to the reporter. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. He was like, we're not trading Kadarius Tony. The guy's like, so you're not going to move him. And he's like, think about what I just said. I was like, <laughs> oh, go Joe. Um, so I don't think it'll be tony but look they they went way up high to take wandale robinson who has a similar skill set so right. you might think uh one of those guys but they're it's not going to be wandale that was their pick right uh so there are a couple of places around the league right now not counting udfas and camp invites that are too full so that's one thing to keep in mind the other thing is some of these guys that are udfas for the bears like three of them are real fun like the other three are kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. But like one of them might hit. Are they all going to hit? Absolutely not. Might you get one of them that comes onto the roster as a fifth, fifth or sixth wide receiver and contributes? Uh, chances are actually pretty good. Uh, at least one of them does. And then, you know, Byron Pringle can play. Is he the big X you want? No, but he is a professional wide receiver that has had some success in the league. So you already have three of those. Right. Well, I mean, with Velas, who they picked to play, 
third or fourth wide receiver. You have three wide receiver options right now. Maybe Daz Newsom does something. Who knows? Wouldn't hold your breath on that. But nope. there are going to be some options, and they're going to come from a couple of sources that are a little bit, let's just say, less traditional. Doesn't mean they're not going to be there. All right. I'll, I'll finish with this one, and this is just kind of pie in the sky. Let's just pick EJ's brain and see what he would do kind of fun thing. We know Debo Samuel potentially could be had with a trade. Bears aren't going to trade. You know, they want a one. They, 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 Ten wasn't even that, – that's not happening. So put, put that aside. Uh, from what I've heard, I'm, you know, in your neck of the woods, I'm pretty confident the Seahawks want a one for DK Metcalf. Yeah, they but, want two ones. <laughs> but – if that price comes out of the round, out of round one, and Seattle looks at the Bears and go, they're going to be bad. Hmm. That pick is in the 30s. If you could get DK Metcalf and you got to pay him 100 million, you know, four years, oh, yeah. 100 million, whatever it's going to be. If you get DK Metcalf for, let's say, a two and a four in next year's draft, and you already gave away the six, are you jumping at that? Oh, 100%. A hundred percent. If it's two twos, if you've got to give your two and your uh, you know, the 20, yeah, two, four twos. two twos is tougher uh, because I don't think the team's quite ready for that. If you said two and a four for DK, two things are, are going to make me do that immediately. Uh, he's a known known and we've seen the Rams do this, right? They go get a player with their high round picks because again, biggest failure rate in the first round is wide receiver. You go get a guy, you know, can play wide receiver in the NFL. And what does DK do really well? Well, he goes up and gets the ball, deep ball, deep ball. Who throws a really good deep ball? Justin Fields. Justin Fields throws a great deep ball. So you get a really good deep ball receiver with a really good deep ball thrower. And you're going to see some production. You know, he can do it. You know he can do it. You put those two together and you go a two and a four. Hell yeah. Yeah, I know I have to pay him a lot of money, but I'm going to have to pay anybody that works out at that spot a lot of money. And I get a known value. That is, uh, we're not getting DK again either. I mean, nobody at that size runs that fast. So, um, you know, sure. Two and a four, great. Two and a two, uh, man, I'd like that asset. I'd probably still consider it, but it gets worse with the money because you are going to have to pay him. I mean, he's going to want the same, same or yeah. close yep. that everybody he's, else wants. We've got the new um, ceiling for receivers. We know what we're Yeah. Paying. And you know, it's going to be a year or two till that really pays off. You get your highlight plays this year, but it, again, you and I both know the bears aren't going anywhere this year. So you're, you're paying for an extra year that you're not really going to use. That's the, the downside when you start to get to two, two, but two, four heartbeat, like couldn't do it fast enough. All right. There he is. EJ Snyder, Windy City Gridiron with the Bears Over Beers podcast and the Bootleg Football podcast with Brett Coleman. He's everywhere. He's been working like a madman nonstop for months. So, EJ, why don't you just, you know, head upstairs, get yourself a beer, kick your feet up and relax a little bit. Thanks so much for jumping on. <laughs> Not a problem. Thanks for having me, Bill. There he is, EJ Snyder, Windy City Gridiron. And the Bootleg Football Podcast. Make sure you catch EJ and Jeff Burks, JB, as they have a Bears over beers coming at you very, very soon. You know, look, EJ's got a... I love EJ. I think EJ's analysis is great. I think... I mean, I swear, when EJ says he likes a prospect, that prospect turns out when EJ says he doesn't, they stink. I, I you know, I know no one's got 100% hit rate, but EJ is great at what he does. I love talking to him. I learn from EJ every time. And that's, look, 
You know, anyone who pretends that they know everything, they don't know anything. So when you sit there and you get a chance to talk to someone like EJ and you get to learn football, you get to learn about these players, you get to learn about scheme fits. It's great. And and I think EJ does a great job there. And look, anyone that heard my previous podcast, you, you know where I stand on this. And I, and I brought it up with EJ. I am not a fan with heavily addressing the defense and not addressing the offense. I think that's doing Justin Fields poorly. And I think potentially, potentially crippling Justin Fields' development. And that's where I have big issues. But, you know, I yelled and screamed about that already. No one needs to have their eardrums blown out a second time. So hope you enjoyed this one. We will get at you again soon. Bear down, everybody. Adios.